Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. Do you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to? Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We'd love to hear from you. So connect with us today. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send me a uh, text, 2057, email me inbox at rallycheck.radio. We've got our regular feature with Tane Webster. Oh, my goodness, talking politics. Tane, a lot happening. Yes, so much has happened in the last couple of days. Well, not as much as was happening in the last few months, though. Yeah, and we've got questions coming in. Yes, yes. So Vicky asked, I'm curious about, well, hi, Rodney and Tane. I'm curious about associate ministers. What is their role? Are they given specific projects? Are they more of an assistant to the minister? Thanks. I'm learning a lot from your sessions. Great work. Oh, thank you, Vicky. Um, I was an associate minister and I had associate ministers. Uh, I was associate minister of education. I was associate minister of commerce. And I had an associate minister, John Carter, for local government. So it's a very, very great question. And ministers, in terms of political power, are top of the heap, right? Um, they get they get a warrant, and they're in charge. Now they run everything past cabinet of a major. Uh, note but they set the policy direction for the areas now the areas are set out in their warrant so when you become a minister you get a warrant and it's so different to being an mp it's like crazy because you think oh yeah mp minister you just you're still sitting in parliament completely different constitutionally completely different set of responsibilities why because you're in charge you're in charge of departments, you're in charge of the policy settings, you're responsible for everything that happens. Associate ministers, mm, not so much. What happens with an associate minister is that they get, I'm actually trying to think, I guess it is a warrant, I'm trying to remember, or a letter, but they have set out uh, in their warrant what their responsibilities are. And it's dictated by the minister. So this is your job. It could be a nothing job. It could be a lot of job. But everything they do is overseen by the minister and can be kiboshed by the minister because it's the nature of responsibility that you can only have one person in charge in our constitutional setup, and that person is the minister. So associate ministers work closely with the minister. They have a carved out area of responsibility that will be set out in their warrant and set out publicly. They'll typically meet with their minister uh, once a week and officials will be reporting to the minister as well as to them what they're up to. And the minister would like to know most closely uh, what the associate minister uh, is up to. So. For example, 
when I was Associate Minister of Education, I had responsibility for um, special needs, for gifted, the gifted program in the schools, and for partnership schools. Who was your minister at that time of education? Anne Tolly. Oh, yeah. So um, they didn't trouble me much, um, but anything that I wanted extra, like a legislative change or money, uh, it would be up to the minister. And I met with uh, Minister Tolly and officials weekly and went over the matters and had briefings. Very much depended on the relationship that you build with the minister. I found Minister Tolly to be very good to work for. And she was very happy that I was taking something off her plate and wasn't causing her any grief. So that's how it works. It is a very, very narrow role. It can be extremely uh, frustrating and extremely small, and it depends on the relationship with the minister. Right. I think it's easier when you're from another party because it involves, like, Minister Tolly had to be careful with me in a funny way because I was leader of the ACT Party in coalition with her national party. And so any difficulty, I was also meeting with the Prime Minister on a weekly basis. So <laughs> I had this odd inverted sort of relationship, whereas in the ministerial role I was subordinate to her but I could also bring the government down. <laughs> so she had to be wary because I literally could trot out of her office and trot into the Prime Minister's office the next day and say, I've got a problem. I suspect if I'd been a junior national associate minister, I would have had a more fraught time. Right. Isn't that funny? I've forgotten all these things until that question came up. And then if you aren't quite on the level of associate, then you are given the role of the the famous one we've discussed before, Parliamentary, undersecretary. 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 I, I have no idea what that is. I, have ne I don't think there was a parliamentary undersecretary in my entire time in parliament. There probably was, but that's not even a minister. That's a completely made-up role to make someone feel important. I've never, I don't have no idea what they do. I have never dealt with one because they don't get to ask questions in parliament or whatever. So, for example, if you're an associate minister, uh, you can answer questions to do with your particular area. Um, but being minister is best. Um, and John Carter and I, we had a great time um, as minister and associate minister. He is. He was one of the fabulous guys, one of the fabulous characters of our parliament, and I enjoyed working with him immensely. And um, and he was fiercely loyal. I remember once <clears throat> I went into cabinet with a paper, which was going to cap the ability of councils to increase rates, and it was going to force them to work at the rate of inflation. And um, without getting special dispensation from the minister or something, I can't remember quite how much it worked, uh, quite how it worked. But it was a fabulous piece of legislation to force councils to live within their budget. 
rather than just continuously put up rates at exorbitant exorbitant rates. I also had a had a proposal to limit what councils could do. Well, each time I have to say, John Carter, I'm probably speaking out of school, but every time I went in, John Carter would back me 100% against his National Party colleagues. And we would walk in, and afterwards I would sing him the song of the, um, what is that one? Onwards, onwards rode the brave 500, cannon to the right and cannon to the left of them. <laughs> because we would go into cabinet, the two of us, riding our steady horses on behalf of ratepayers and get bayoneted and machine gunned and artillery raining down us totally failed as cabinet fell on top of us. Oh, you know, we can't limit rate increases for councils. Councils have got to be able to have their money. They just have to sort of put up their rates and they have to take responsibility for it. And, of course, we were there on behalf of ratepayers not councils. But of course, the fear was if we limited the ability of councils to put up rates, we might limit the ability of governments to put up taxes. I also had a bill for that, but that failed also. There you go. That was my associate ministers. I love John Carter. Right. So the the next question uh, for this session, had a few people ask this and it basically boils down to what's going on with the Maori party. Uh, and yesterday, I believe it was the, the opening of parliament. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. And that, and there was traditional attire worn, I think even a haka inside. Is that, is that the first time that's happened? I don't think it is. I think the Maori party's done it before. Oh, it's disgusting. And everywhere you look, um, each parliament, the performances ramp up. So they get, um, it used to be when I first turned up the parliament in 96, very solemn, reflecting a thousand years of history. And then as we proceeded, it became more raucous and um, MPs are anxious to get on TV. And so the one that's the most raucous or the most outrageous um, gets there. And so there's a huge incentive to who can put on the biggest performance, wear the biggest token around their neck, put on the craziest headgear, do the stupidest thing, because you will get on TV. I became famous in my maiden speech uh, in New Zealand, political circles, because Tuku Morgan was a new MP with me, and he'd got into trouble with his underpants, spending big money on it prior to becoming an MP. And he was refusing to speak, but had to give a maiden speech. But they were running behind time. And every journalist and every political tragic in the country tuned in to listen to Tucker. And there was me. <laughs> so I had the benefit of gaining fame off the back of Tuku Morgan's underpants. And that's what these characters are on about the wanting to be noticed, the wanting to perform. I find it utterly depraved, utterly sad, and incredibly dangerous because they are creating and perpetuating a racial division. They're not leaders who are bringing us together, but they're leaders that are tearing us apart according to race. 
tin pot tyrants have done that since day dot. Create an enemy, create your tribe, you're on my side, over there, there's the enemy, join with me, we will fight them, I will lead you. Oh, wonderful leader, we will swear obedience to you because you will keep us safe. And that's what the Maori Party is doing. And, of course, it's a complete inversion of the purpose of a Westminster parliamentary democracy, which was what the signing of the treaty was all about, was about to give us rights as citizens and uh, proceed by way of discussion and debate and majority rule rather than which tribe wins the fight. This is a hugely retrograde step. They themselves are unbelievably stupid, but calculating. They're stupid because they're following a neo-Marxist sort of program, which is to say that it's how you identify that determines everything, that there is always an oppressor and the oppressed. This came out of Marxist analysis of the worker versus the capitalist, and it's been transmogrified into women versus men, the patriarchy. It's transmogrified into indigenous people versus colonialists. It's transmogrified into um, white people versus brown people. And so these characters in the Maori Party have picked up on that and saying, because we're brown, we're the victims here. And because you're white, you're the oppressors. And this whole parliament is a symbol of oppression because it's built by white guys, the worst things in the world, because they stand at the apex of, what is that word, oppression. And they can't get beyond that. They can't argue. They can't reason. They can't debate. They can't even come up with policy. They can't contribute to the debate. They can't defend their position because it's nonsensical and it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical because we're individuals. My, my behavior is not dictated because I'm a white male. I can reason and I can think through my behavior, but they can't allow for that. They think I'm a robot because I'm white and male. And what they're doing is they're teaching young Maori to be victims, not to try because they can't get ahead because they're oppressed, and to see their way forward as victory. And that's where it gets scary, because what does victory mean? I can't see how victory can be co-governance, because why settle for co-governance? Because all you're doing is sharing governorship with your oppressor. Yeah, maybe maybe they want actually to have their own kind of country or section of the country or something like that. Well, they want all of New Zealand. They won't even be able to articulate that. That's how stupid they are. But if you follow the logic through, and this is why when you see them wearing the Green Party, wearing their Palestinian cloaks, um, and they're using that language, they're using exactly the same language that the Maori Party uses uh, 
crazily, this is how stupid they are, crazily the Israelis are the colonizers, despite being there for thousands and thousands of years and having been colonized themselves throughout that time. Um, and they say there's no room here for the colonizers. So the Gaza cause that is being supported by the Maori Party and the Green Party against the, quote, colonializers of the Jewish people isn't a two-state solution, isn't a good fence and we'll have this bit and you have that bit. It's the total destruction of Israel and the removal one way or another of the Jewish people. The exact same language and the same rhetoric is on display this week from the Maori Party. And I can't see how co-governance is the end point. Now, in addition to the, the parliament um, antics, in the morning they blocked roads uh, in some parts of the country and, and did a protest. Uh, they, well, they called on people to, the Maori Party did. Yeah, and how how weird is that? Because here you are, you have demonstrated the wonderful thing of living in a democratic state where everyone is equal because they put their names forward, they stood for parliament, and they got elected to parliament, which is an amazing thing, right? Mm. Then they portray themselves as oppressed. Not only that, they're oppressed by a genocidal crown. Mm. Well, they've just demonstrated that the crown is falling over backwards to provide a parliament to which they can get elected and to which they can contribute. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like, in a lot of ways, I think I read a comment online somewhere saying, you know, that they're the most privileged, but they act the most oppressed. Yes, but that's a way of tyrants everywhere. So they're on their big salary, you know, that fellow flies over to Paris and puts on Instagram all the great meals he eats. Meanwhile, Who's that? Rawiti, he oh. went to Paris last year. Meanwhile, kids are missing out. The stats for Maori education are truly appalling. We know there's some um, shocking statistics at the schools. Can't blame necessarily the schools because they get into a downward spiral. The home lives are shocking. And sadly, kids are being beaten and killed, too often Maori. The Maori party doesn't speak to them. They're busy worried about kiddies in Gaza, about which they clearly know nothing. They say they stand for the Mokapuna here in New Zealand, but they won't stand with a little baby that tragically has been murdered, and we can't even, they won't even speak up about the killer. Why wouldn't the Maori leadership say, if you're truly Maori, if you're truly a person of integrity and courage, you'd speak up. You don't know. Are you talking about the case of the... With a, Baby um, Ron. Baby Yeah, Ron. yeah. So they're all about pointing the finger 
away, away to the Middle East. King Charles, white men, and never accepting some responsibility. Of course, history has been bad. It's been bad to all of us. History has also been amazingly good to all of us, right? We've climbed onto the shoulders of incredible people who have built our country, Maori and non-Maori, immigrants and people that have been here for 100, 200, 300, 400 years have built this country. We're so blessed. But all they can do is posture and shout and point the finger. What one? What is one constructive suggestion that they have come up with? Having been, on the day they're sworn, in, sworn into our parliament, as a political party privileged because it's a racial-based party with racial-based seats, which I'm against, they then start protesting and blocking people going to work as though this is some great success. How on earth, how on earth are they blocked? They don't like the democratic will because they want power. They want to dictate to everyone. And we shouldn't forget that there are engorged and enriched iwi elite who previous governments have attempted to succor and, um, shall we say, bribe, not in a illegal sense, but say, here, we'll give you this treaty settlement. Here, we'll give you this preferential treatment. We will give you the special status in the Resource Management Act. We'll give you this special money for you to control. And the idea that somehow that would um, allay the concerns and mean that Maori don't complain. But the complaints have just got louder because successive governments have allowed this narrative to take a hold and have acted on it, that there is such a thing as systemic racism in New Zealand, that these institutions are all bad and that the solution is to divide us by race and hand out resources accordingly, more particularly to hand out resources not to the individuals but to tin pot dictators who present themselves as leaders of this iwi, which hitherto didn't exist for a hundred years. And then make up in legislation these quasi-corporations without any accountability. And they can fund this. They can push for this. They can call for this. And at present, they're calling for co-governance. Then it'll be two nation states. And then it'll be one nation. Why would it stop? It's mm. it's sad. And and the saddest thing always is for the people they claim to speak for, the Mokapuna. Because this isn't helping them learn, learn to read and write. This isn't firing up their belly to be the next Elon Musk or to succeed in business and in life, but rather to be born a victim. The day you're born they're born with a grievance. You know, you just mentioned there about the one state, two state, you know, for, for here and where this might go. I just reminded me and I just double checked with a Google search. So there was actually a, in Australia, you know, these, these trends are the same in all, well, many of the new world countries that Europeans explored and settled Australia, Canada, United States, etc. And uh, in Australia, they've actually had people, activists and an Aboriginal lawyer and activist propose 
a seventh state uh, that would be run by the Indigenous people with its own parliament. I'm guessing probably somewhere more in the in the middle, you know, in that part of Australia. But uh, and that was an article. That's an article from 2016. You know, so the, these conversations are, are happening. You know, yeah, what would that look like in New Zealand? That's Gaza, right? The Gaza Strip. All the Jews were removed by the Israeli government. They handed over power to the Gaza Strip, to the Palestinians. They had an election, elected Hamas, never had another election. But Gaza and the Palestinians could have chosen to, we've got this bit of land, let's make it work. Beautiful place could have been a tourist destination. It could have succeeded all around the world, no more so than in Israel, were they willing that place to succeed. But they chose to be victims and to look over the fence and say our problems are being caused by Israel and therefore to enact violence. And I think the analogy stands. It's just you can't trace it all the way through. You can't imagine that when you pass the Treaty Settlement Act and start handing out and settling supposedly for historical grievances, you can't see where that will end. But I had a dinner once with the great Thomas Sowell in 1989, and he had studied racial conflict all around the world. And he told me that night precisely where this would end. And we're halfway there. Because it's no different, he said, to Sri Lanka, the Middle East, what's happened in Russia, what's happened in India, what happened in Malaysia. This is nothing unique. And in 1989, he, predict he predicted racial division, separate laws, and violence. Because we've given up on the idea of every human being being equal before the law and having the same set of rights and responsibilities. And from that, you can't back the truck out. Because once you say one group is special, for whatever reason, one group could be special because they're supposedly cleverer than the other group or wiser. Or one group is special because they have been historically oppressed and you're trying to help them overcome that historical oppression. It doesn't matter the reason. As soon as you create it, you create a demand for more of it. And of course, it's like handing out money for free. You can never hand out enough. And as you hand out that money, the, well, let's say it like it is, moral fiber of the people decay because no longer do they have to take responsibility for themselves. It's like your kids. You look after your kids. You provide for your kids, but only for so long because you know if you keep them provided for, they'll never grow up. 
and we have created the situation where Maori have been infantilized. Not 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 the Maori that you have in your neighborhood or at work, but the Maori leadership because their way forward now is always to be special and to be more special and more special and more special. So much so that then where there's a suggestion to remove a special status, that becomes genocide, that becomes discrimination, that becomes racism. The exact obverse of what it is, actually, to treat everyone equally. This is a hard thing to unravel. And this is why you can laugh at the Maori Party, but they represent something. They got voted in. While they're silly, they actually know what they're doing. They will get re-voted in because they're standing up for me. And the TikTok generation love it. And they're sending a terrible message not the message of you can succeed against all odds, but the message that you can't succeed no matter what. It's terrible. And it's hard to believe that this has come to pass. The married leadership of past times would have been terribly distressed to see these clowns. There you go, Tane. It's some it's sobering and it's somber. And yes, we can take a great deal of fun and laugh at them, but my goodness, I don't know how we wind it back. I guess the good news is these clowns are waking people up to what is happening. There we go. Politics explained. Thank you, Tane. We'll see you next week. Yep, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate your answers to their questions. Oh well. You can send a question in. Text 2057, email me inbox at radiocheck.radio. Thank you for listening. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand and overseas, with governments constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To make sure you never miss the critical news and breaking stories you rely on, join the RCR mailing list today. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.